Welcome to the Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast, brought to you by RPI Consultants, a podcast about the magic of digital transformation through technology. Each week, we'll cover topics related to ERP, RPA, business transformation, leadership, healthcare, and unicorns. And welcome back to another episode of Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about just a topic that uh, those of you following the podcast know I just rail on sites that do this wrong. I champion um, you know, software companies and sites that do this well. We're going to talk about user experience and user experience design. We're going to do that with Satyam Kentumani. Uh, he is the Chief Experience Officer which is just a great title, right, for a UX company, Chief Experience Officer at a company called UX Reactor. If you're following along at home or want to, the website is uxreactor.com, R-E-A-C-T-O-R.com. You can go out there and follow along as we talk about some of these topics. Uh, We're going to take a deep dive into innovative user experience design, and uh, we're going to talk about some some high density applications, like it's going to be a lot more than just talking about how do you design a pretty website, right? We're going to go well beyond that and talk about uh, huge user-based populations and how do you design for that. So it'll be a great discussion. Uh, Prior to founding UX Reactor, uh, Satyam led various in-house design organizations such as Citrix and PayPal, uh, household names that we all use every day. Uh, He's an alumnus of Harvard Business School. Uh, While he was there, he realized that uh, most businesses weren't leveraging the full power of user experience design uh, for strategic growth, so he resolved uh, to change that, set out on his own. Um, He has really focused on the uh, user design to drive enterprise-wide innovation and business outcomes. Uh, The reactor has enabled its clients, partners to generate hundreds of millions in additional revenue and user-centered innovation. Um, He's very passionate about, obviously, user-centered innovation. He's authoring a book currently titled User Experience Playbook, a practical playbook to fuel business growth, which will be released uh, or is released. The the funny thing about this is I've pursued, we've kind of pursued each other to become a guest on the podcast. We had to reschedule once or twice. So at the time it said, we'll be released in April. And now it's obviously past April and the book is is out. So Satyam, thank you for taking the time and joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for a great introduction. Awesome. I, there's so many things I want to talk about. I'm, I'm almost like paralyzed, right? Because I also want to talk about the book. Um, I want to talk about the fact that you consider user experience a part of growing a company because I think that's kind of unique and different. I haven't heard that before. I've heard it as like, we got to get this right or bad things happen to companies. But I haven't really heard about it in the context of it helping to grow a company. Um, so I'd love to talk about that. Um, and then we were talking just before the podcast started about, you know, user experience and user, user design is one thing, but at scale in complex areas like healthcare, that becomes extremely challenging to take really complex data and information and communicate that to a consumer and give them a great end user experience. So, um, I, I don't know which one of those you want to tackle first, but, uh, 
like the, those are the areas I'd love to dive into. I think let's start with the latter topic uh, because that also is a great segue into the overall philosophy of growth. Okay. Uh, you know, I think the essence of any user-centered organization or any human-centered organization is the foundation foundational belief that I, I know the user, I know what they want, I know when they want it, and I can always have a process to get it to them uh, in the context of what, what they're doing. Uh, now, even though that, that statement sounds simple, it is where many organizations struggle, right? That when you're building, a, a, let's say, an education system, uh, the pandemic was tested the, the boundaries of digital transformation and education industry. Uh, you know, it's not the same. I mean, an instructor will have a different experience. A parent will have a different experience. Uh, different grades will have different experiences because of just their cognitive uh, capacities. Uh, you know, assessments will have different experiences. There's just so many experiences that need to be reconciled uh, for uh, a system like that to come through. Uh, and uh, And unfortunately, that's where there's still a lot of siloing going on organizationally, systemically, and uh, you know you have to work with at least about half a dozen systems uh, just to get education through it. Now, the irony is that's exactly the same case for healthcare. That's exactly the same case for legal. That's exactly the same case for agriculture. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of different systems that have been integrated together to say they're digitally transformed, but, uh, but are not helping businesses you know, tap in. And then the best part is the organization that figures it out and starts bringing that experiences together in a seamless manner owns it all. And that's like multi-billion dollar opportunity. So again, that's where I say it's a growth opportunity. While it's highly centered around knowing your users uh, and not your user as, you know, hey, I have a system admin. A system admin who's joining a company for the first day is a different experience versus somebody who's 99th day in that same company. A system admin who's like, there's so many contexts that have to be understood. And that's actually where it gets really tricky and very fun. Uh, but once the organization starts getting onto that, everything is an opportunity. And when you start doing it on a systemic level, it's a multiplicative uh, advantage. So again, it's, it's fun. Uh, obviously, it has a method to the madness, how you do it, how you approach it. Uh, many organizations try it, fail, and then say, ah, this was never going to work. And uh, no, it's actually, it's very much doable. Uh, you know, I struggled with it when I was running it in an in-house sense. Uh, so for me, uh, uh, founding UX Reactor and now running UX Reactor is actually an exp uh, both an experiential media as well as an experimental media to kind of try out different ways of getting to that same outcome. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack there, but I just thought like, that's how I would probably start out with uh, the two things you asked. I, you know, I, I love so much about what you said. Um, you immediately started not talking about tech, not talking about design, not talking about software languages or any of the tools. You, you started talking about the user, right? And, and for those, again, that follow the podcast, I talk a lot about personas, right? And I challenge all my customers. I'm like, tell me about your customer. And they might have a small level of detail. They might be like, oh, she's a 23-year-old. Uh, to 25-year-old female customer who generally lives in big cities and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so what? I don't care. I want to know what time does she wake up in the morning? What does she do? Does she check her email first thing? Does she grab her phone on her bedside table? Does she use an iPad? Does she use a computer? Is it a Mac or is it a PC? What kind of phone does she use? When does she go to work? What does she do on her commute? What is right? I want to know everything about that person. I tell companies you should be you should invite your top customers 
and you should follow them around, right? Reward them and pay them, but but know every single thing about them and, and not just about their demographics and how much they make and what city they live in, who cares? I wanna know what do they do during the day so that I can meet them where they are and position technology to, to make their experience better. Absolutely, and I think adding to what you just said, Michael, uh, knowing their fears, knowing their aspirations, knowing their context uh, actually helps a lot more, right? So again, uh, flying a plane when you have two engines fail is a very different context versus flying a plane when you have redundancy built in with like, you know, any one engine can still fly you down, right? And I think that's, that's when cognitive load increases, when stress increases, how do you design around that? How do you engage with that? Same with like, you know, uh, it's interesting uh, as age kind of goes through, people start getting more fearful of technology, fearful of situations because, you know, they just don't have the support system and designing for that is very different. Uh, um, there's so many nuances to that. And I think, as you said, knowing your customer, following your customer is actually a new user and, and being one with them. But even with all that said, Michael, 40% of the companies are still not are shipping a feature and a product without actually having uh, spoken to even one user, right? And that's the nature of it. And then when they speak to it, you know, I, I talk to a lot of business leaders and I can try to understand what is their, uh, I call it user empathy, uh, you know, philosophy. And they say, oh yeah, my product managers talk to them. I said, so what? Uh, just one person talking in a company doesn't make your company user-centric. Does every person in your organization understand the same pain? And especially with this whole, as organizations have become more decentralized, geographically distributed, the one problem is like a designer or, or a developer sitting in Europe or in India or in you know Colombia, wherever they are, they have no idea what exactly works and how a healthcare system works in America or how a dealership works in America or how an education system. And so how will they, till you kind of get into that level of empathy, you really will never be making decisions that are very much in tune with it. You will all be doing is building features. And I think that's another reason why many companies don't talk to users because they don't know what to ask. They don't know how to ask. They don't know, is that, should I be building it for them? There's just so many myths in this line of work. I, yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I, I, I once had a conversation with a peer in a large healthcare system. I worked for, for Dignity Health. And um, I served the back office, right? I served, my customers were internal to the organization, but they were finance, supply chain, HR, right? And there was a lot of them. And uh, I, I was meeting with this person who was an architecture. I'll, I'll protect him a little bit, although I kind of don't want to. Because uh, what, you know, how the conversation went is he said, man, you have the worst job in the company. And I have the best job. And I said, oh, let me, let me understand that. And he goes, you have so many customers and they're always talking to you. They're, you're always in meetings and you're talking to them and you're, you're, you're just, that's just exhausting. I sit behind the scenes and I don't talk to any, I don't have to talk to anybody to do my job. And I thought, wow, how out of touch are you as an architect? You're architecting solutions for customers who you don't talk to. How could you possibly be effective and meet their needs? I love talking to customers because they tell me what their pains are. They tell me what they're, what's working well, right? And then I can help them solution with technology. How, how do we enable that? How do we do more and better and faster and cheaper? Um, it's, it's 
so it's so easy, right, to be at whatever level you are. I don't care if you're the CEO of a major company. You should have a pulse on what's happening with your customers. Um, you know, a relevant example today is is retail, right? Everybody talks about retail and how it's all moving online and blah, blah. Not necessarily, right? I think companies that have a good a good touch point on what their customers want take REI, right? REI is never going to go online because people love going into their stores and having that experience because they've designed an experience by talking to their customers to know what they want. It's it's an experience when you go there. There's classes, there's yes merchandise, but there's so much more to be had in that store because the leadership talks to the customers. That is so true. That is so true. I think again when you know you know, REI could serve different customers. One could be you know people who are professional or much more they know. Like I I do hiking right, and I do high altitude mm-hmm. hiking. So uh, when I went down to REI, just kept talking about REI, they understand me as a novice hiker versus an expert hiker. Uh, they, they kind of talk to me in that same context. And in fact, everyone takes pride in talking to me. I could never get that online, right? And, uh, and that's just no, some of those nuances that kind of is. And they have the guarantee, like, hey, you can whatever you get online, we will we'll match it. So again, it works out well. So that next thing of like, hey, am I going to pay a premium for this? Like they immediately say, nope, you're not paying a premium for this, by the way. We'll also give you cash back if you join our program. So just the nuances of understanding the journey that I'm going through, like the questions I'm already asking, they already have answers for that, is what, what it means to really build a great experience, right? And mm-hmm. again, we, I, I talk to a lot of leaders and I've started coming to a point after running the firm for eight years where I start qualifying and disqualifying them in my mind. And I say, you know, hey, I want to work with you. I don't want to work with you. And the reason I don't want to work with you is not for any other reason that I just, I, I think you just, your starting point is like, why should I even talk to users? I should be surprising my users. I'm like, absolutely, you'll be surprising users and you'll also be surprising your business. That's okay. If that's what you want to do, go for it. But, you know, go iterate with your users, bring them into the situation, learn what they're doing, make them part of your problem solving. And if you don't want to do that because you want to do this grand surprise, then okay. I mean, then that's nine out of 10 times you will, you know, be surprised yourself, but uh, but that's okay. I mean, you, sh- you should just go through that journey. Uh, but I don't want to work with you because I I don't want to you know convince you other way around. Uh, we have a fundamental belief when we work with organizations that's always user first, their experience second, design third, and then technology. And when business leaders come to us and say, "Hey, I have a technology, it's not working. Can we build a great experience on it for this user?" and can I do that yesterday? And my engineers are waiting. I'm like not doing that. I mean, I it just wouldn't work because I have no freaking idea. And whatever I do will probably what you've already done. Uh, yeah. And uh, so the best thing is follow the user, think about the experience you want to build, then design it. And so many agencies define themselves as I'm going to design something, and then the technology stack comes into picture. Uh, you then go figure it out, and obviously you'll hit the target nine out of ten times because you actually know what you're giving to the user and why you're giving it to them. Yeah. I, I, so many people come to us and they start with the technology, right? They went to a conference, they were sold uh, and the end thing. And they're like, this is what, you know, I was sold. This is what I have. Can you bring it to life? And I'm like, for what? What are we trying to do? Right. Let's go all the way back to the users, right? Whether they're your internal employees, right? Because those are users too, as well as your consumers. You have lots of different groups of users. 
and you need to understand all of them. And, and it's kind of like, well, what are we trying to do? Well, I want this great seamless experience. Okay, well, you just bought like five different pieces of software that you now expect your users to go get their payroll information over here, their benefit information over here, their time off information over here, this over there, this over here, and then you want, you tell me you want a great user experience. Okay, well, you just failed, right? You, you failed because you didn't start with, oh, maybe I need to feed that into some sort of portal where they can get everything all at once, right? They can go to one place, their convenience, not yours. So you start with the wrong questions. I, um, I again want to go back to the website because I love this website, right? If you go to the uxreactor.com manifesto page, um, the questions that you were talking about, those are there. And then as you were talking about first the user, then the experience, then the design, I was staring at it on my other monitor and I was like, I was gonna, I was gonna say that. I was gonna say like, what a cool manifesto. Because if you start with the users first, it makes the rest of the journey so much easier and you, you so much less waste, right? You're not like buying all this stuff going, okay, I now have all this stuff. I call it a toolbox, right? And I say, maybe you're hanging a picture. So you reach into the toolbox and you grab a hammer. Probably not the right tool to hang a picture, right? You probably need a screwdriver. But if all you have is a hammer, you know, you're going to destroy your wall. You're going you're gonna to get it in there but it's not the right tool, right? You need a toolbox of a variety of different things. And the way that you know what to put in the toolbox depends on what customers you're serving or what job you're doing. If you're a plumber, you have different tools than if you're an electrician, than if you're a carpenter, right? And those are defined by the type of work they do by the customers that they're serving. So your manifesto is just so simple and so amazing, right? First, the users. Think Steve Jobs, right? He started with the users and the experience he wanted. Then he created this amazing design. And then he gave it to his engineers and said, okay, bring this to life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I call it the Steve Jobs paradox. Many people, many business leaders would actually now start acting like Steve Jobs by saying, I want to design review. I want to see every design without truly understanding what problem are you solving and why. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's just, it's just fascinating. And I think... I, you know, another scenario I just quickly share, which is uh, many people come to us, our clients come to us and say, how are you going to make it innovative? I say the secret of making it innovative is by knowing who the user is and what the pain points are, because innovation is solving it in a different manner. Uh, I, I, every product is unique because their users are unique. Their contexts are unique. Uh, healthcare is not a sec it's a sector, but within healthcare, oncology patient would be very different than how they look at it versus the primary care patient. And those are the nuances that needs to come. I initially, long time back, I designed uh, a breast biopsy instrument. Uh, and like a novice designer, I designed it assuming that the doctor is going to hit the dials and the success, success, suction uh, uh, you know, parameters and so on and so forth, only to realize that this is a you know, big ass uh, you know, needle that needs to go in into the tissue. Uh, and the doctor is so focused on like getting the right tissue that they're just, you know, literally giving uh, instructions to uh, another person and technician who's doing it and uh, in a loud environment. Uh, so everything changes because of that context. I cannot give audio feedback. I, the person has to be clear in how they communicate. 
Uh, a lot of those nuances very similar to and the commands have to be straight because if you say increase suction or decrease suction and if increase or decrease kind of doesn't come through in the sound that they may increase or decrease it by mistake there's a lot of those nuances that you have to think through and that is only when you truly observe users uh, we built this one uh, automotive system uh, we had 200 visits in dealership uh, to sit down to understand how technicians work and that's the level of focus that someone needs to apply and obviously the company we're working with is a multi billion dollar company now but i'd say obviously because its innovation is right in front of you you just talk to them i mean it's technology is not the solution solving the problems is a solution and i think uh, and that's that's just one essence and i i go i'd say I ask this to every leader i say can you ask anybody in your company to identify your top users what the top five issues are and what they're doing about it and if they can't say this your organization is not user centric don't even think that you're user centric right I because it has to go all the way down everybody needs to know who the user is what the pain points are and what you are doing about it i i worked in healthcare um as you know the opportunity to serve uh, at a children's hospital and my team had nothing to do with patient care you would think right we were on the back end we were running some of the back office business systems and i noticed like everybody was just kind of nonchalant right everybody was like whatever you know i show up i do my job i do it okay i do it well it's great i love the organization and i was like you know what they're out of touch with why people are coming to a children's hospital right they're out of touch people don't go to the children's hospital because it's a pretty building and there's really nice people there when they come there right their child is in some sort of distress right either an emergent situation or they have a long term illness or something right it, it's not usually a great happy place filled with bubbly people um, and, and so i took my whole team and we went on a tour of the hospital right we went to surgery we went to oncology okay that was a little sad right but when we were done touring kind of the patient care areas my team came back with a how do we make this better how do we do more you know it was a realization of oh my gosh we we're here for the kids right we've got to make that experience better faster cheaper seamless whatever we can do uh and it was an amazing experience because it took people that traditionally aren't connected to the business of healthcare for children which is a tough business to be in but it connected them directly to the mission of the organization and they just blew up with like i have to do more right how do i be better how do we how are we the best children's hospital in the country how do we and connecting your employees to your point regardless of what they're doing whether they're back office and they never see a customer they should understand the purpose of how that company serves their end customers healthcare is easy to get excited about because it is about providing care to another human but i don't care if you're selling healthcare or you're selling shoes or whatever get your organization charged up about how are we the best to that customer and that just enables your success absolutely and again you're talking about selling shoes right and zappos is a, is a great example i mean less is sold uh tony shay uh they used to sell single shoes amputees would call in saying 
I only have one shoe. Uh, veterans would say, like, you know, I have an amputated, so I only want one shoe. Uh, and they would sell it. Uh, and they would take care of it because they understood that user. They understood the context. And they wow. were very empathetic in that process. They were like, hey, why would you want one shoe? And that, that whole that understanding all the different cases, especially as you're going online, as you're going digital, the world becomes your customer. There's a lot of nuances there. There's a lot of different diversity of you know context there. I think the more you invest in understanding it, uh, it gets better. I have spoken to CEOs, just, just a quick uh, corollary to that. And I say, yeah. uh, what is your user insights? Where is your user insights coming from? Most people don't even know that they have a user research team. Everyone knows they have a market research team, but market research is not the same as user research. User research is trying to understand how do I build a better product for you, for the user, who are the different users, what are the journeys, how do I solve the pain points and, and building your engine around it. In fact, most organizations don't even have a user research function. I still coach many leaders and saying, this is what user research does. This is how it should be done. Uh, and uh, but that's, again, the nuances of how you start seeing that the right people are not there, right processes are not there, the right environment is not there, and then eventually mm -hmm. it all dilutes. So companies maybe that are listening to this, right, uh, and they're like, okay, this sounds really interesting. I know we need to get better at that. What, like, how do they move from being, maybe they thought they were customer-centric, but now they're like, oh, yeah, the things that Satyam and Michael are talking about, like, we don't do that. <laughs> we need to get better at that. How, how, does it, how does a company move from where they are to really, truly becoming customer? So I think it, it takes four variables, and that's kind of the reason why I also wrote, wrote the book, because I was spending a lot of time coaching a lot of businesses and business leaders on what is the true power. I mean, everybody wants to be an Apple, but doesn't know how to do it. Uh, and uh, it takes four key variables. Uh, it is right people following right process in a good environment with a good mindset. Uh, so we unpack all four of them. Uh, and uh, what kind of people do you need? You need a you need people who are actually there. First of all, experience is not, it's a, it's a profession. It needs a single experience owner for the whole organization. If you look at how, just study an organization, how the organization structured, uh, you have a sales team, you have a professional services team, you have a product team, but the, each of them are disincentivized. I mean, professional and customer service, customer success. But is, from a user perspective, they are all the same because when they call customer service, are they working with your uh, you know, uh, consultants? Are they doing it self-service? It should be the same best experience possible. But then each one is doing it in their own way. Uh, but who's actually bringing them together? So again, having a real leader to drive it, I call it the chief experience officer. Who's the chief experience officer for an organization? Do they have the right people? Are they building the right research? Uh, are they building the right experiments and designs around it? Design is, as a innovation tool, is not... You can experiment with building so many prototypes. You can say, how would this work in this particular context? How would this work in this context? You can iterate on it before you even invest $1 in code, which by the time you get into coding or building a software, uh, it's actually already $100 of, you know, it's too hard to kind of come back. Uh, so right. that's basically uh, the people side. The procedural side is like, now if I'm building research, how do I make sure it propagates everywhere? How do I know everybody kind of gets it? Is it part of my onboarding that whenever someone joins the company, and I, again, I'll take another example of Tony Shea, uh, Zappos, everybody had to take customer service calls for the first week. That's how empathy went up and Zappos became an awesome company. 
But what is your way of, you know, if you can't take customer service calls, there are techniques and methods so people can get further empathized to the problems that they're solving. So there's procedural things in there, research-wise, experimentation-wise, and all those things, again, that we call out uh, in the book specifically. And then more importantly is just the environment. It has to be collaborative. Many times it's kind of like, hey, I'm the product team. I'm the product manager. I'm the designer. I'm the engineer. We three are product. Nah, that's not how it works. The way it should work is everyone in the company may have ideas. Everyone is observing. Everyone's looking out. A finance person can have equally a better idea. A customer sales success person may equally have a better idea. How do you bring that? How do you bring an environment where you're kind of bringing everyone and activating them around users and then innovating around them? So that's an environment. It's collaborative. It is experimental. It is you know, fairly open. Uh, and then finally, the mindset of saying, I'm thinking experience first. I'm going to build experiences. I'm going to build. I'm going to drive an outcome for my user. I'm going to think about the system, especially as you're an analyzing uh, complexity. It all seems hard because there's just so many variables, but that's what makes the best companies the best companies. If there is a formula to it, you have to apply yourself just the same way as you want to build a startup or a big company. You need to understand you're building right people. You're building a business model. You're building the thing, but you have to get all those things right. And that's when you build a startup or an enterprise that kind of will sustain multiple years of success. And the same applies here. When you're user-centric, it can't be just one person or one team or one group that's assigned to it. It is much more of a mindset that comes through all together. And leaders have to understand that that's what it takes. But if they do it, they cover themselves for a whole decade of success. Because I've, I've seen leaders who compete with competition. I said, don't compete with your competition. Compete with the users to keep wowing them, to keep getting them to solving their problems. And that's what will keep you in the market, keep you interested. New markets will open up. Right? There's a technique in user research, which we call it uh, lead, uh, lead user research, uh, which is understanding all the unintended ways your product is being used. For example, when I was at Citrix, we realized that a lot of doctors or health professionals were using uh, GoToMeeting as a collaboration medium uh, to share and, and discuss a particular case. Uh, but it's not HIPAA compliant. Uh, it's not uh, built on that way. But if, if somebody said, hey, what if we actually built a HIPAA compliant collaboration tool that allows doctors to share you know, uh, files, uh, cases, and so on and so forth, and collaborate globally or between centers, of, uh, you know, and then actually maybe we should create it and if you did that, that's a billion-dollar opportunity. But that's how you, you know, you kind of follow the user, follow the lead, and you kind of get there. But these are all subtleties of our data. Again, they are, there's a whole line of professionals like ourselves who kind of do it. Uh, it's kind of the user experience profession has kind of obviously evolved with, you know, over two decades of iteration. Uh, mm -hmm. It's still in adolescence, but you know, there is, there are professionals who do it. So I think many organizations just haven't gotten to it yet. I, I love a couple things you said, right? Compete with the users, right? To continue to wow them. Um, I was just reading a tech article this morning, I think, and uh, they were talking about the new release of uh, the iPhone 14 that's coming coming out. Um, and they were like, yeah, Apple hasn't released, you know, this foldable phone that Samsung is all gung-ho about. And I was sitting there going, I've always, well, it's not true, I didn't, I waffled on Apple early on in like version three or four. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I've since then been loyal uh, to Apple. I always have the latest and greatest next phone that comes out. I'm sure I'll have the 14, you know, in a week or so. But they know me, right? I could care less about a foldable phone. 
And so Apple isn't trying to build a foldable phone because their core users could care less Thank about you. a foldable phone. How stupid, right? Like, uh, I, I just, I love the fact that they really understand me. It's almost like they're in my head and they know what I want next, right? Or they know my frustration with something. Um, it, it's their, their ability to predict their user desires or understand their users is, is kind of crazy because every time I'm like, oh, I don't need that. And then I'm like, oh, but that's really cool. Like, I really want that. I don't need it, but I want it. And they know, like, they, they walk that fine line to sure enough get me to go, okay, here's $1,000. I, I, I just want that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think a lot of times, uh, as you said, when you know your user, and especially with, as the technology is getting more and more stronger, uh, you have all the data, whether users are using it, not using it. You can switch it on, switch it off. I mean, Tesla the same way. I mean, they have every data on what's happening in the car, what the user is doing. They have every element of that. Now, with, if, with that, they are not able to continuously wow me, it's their man. Shame on them. Uh, yeah. Because I have given up everything I can to do. That. And same with Apple. I have everything that they, they know about what I want, what I care about. So with that, if they are not spending the time and, 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 and getting it better. And I think there was an interesting, uh, uh, so a lot of times, again, another scenario, I would say, uh, 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 leaders are always the, the innovator's dilemma. Should I fix what I, ha I have built or shall I give more? Because, you know, that's what the customers are asking for. And it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to fix for my existing user base and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to take a hit whether the stock market or my production cycle to kind of get it right. Apple had that courage and they continue to do that because as you keep mm. adding these things, the bloat happens, but you had to go back and clean it. I mean, the companies that work well with us, and I see that, in fact, I invest in every company that works with us on a personal level, just for the reason that I'm like, hey, they believe in what we believe in, they will actually succeed. And we're seeing that a lot more for the reason that they understand that I'm willing to take a hit for today so I can give a wow tomorrow. Uh, and uh, instead of saying like, hey, how do I keep keep working on these? A lot of these things as leaders means that they have to stop, they have to reevaluate, they have to change their people, they change their structure, uh, change the prioritization models, everything that needs to evolve, which is why startups are much more successful because they don't have any of that headache, which also becomes a bigger disruptor because Let's say an Epic is trying to build a software for healthcare right now. It's a very different way than a, like, actually, why even an Epic? Let's talk one medical, right? One medical just came out of the way and then said, I'm going to build a great primary care experience. It's going to be text first. It's going to be user first. And uh, I'm going to give them the best experience. And they, all the focus was primary care, nothing else. Not even doctors, registered nurses as their main, you know, uh, pri uh, provide uh, care providers. And mm -hmm. what? In less than six, eight years, I mean, they are now, they sold to three and a half billion to Amazon and Amazon's going to build that as a backbone for their experiential process. Now think about Amazon, they have more data for you and they now actually can, if they can't give me a better experience and better systems around me, then again, shame on them. But these are all the things that's happening. And I think organizations and leaders, this is the opportunity of the decade to now take these systems and then go at it with an experience and user first mindset. You know, I think uh, it's important to point out whether you're a big company or a small company, you can either 
do really well at this or you can epically fail at this. Absolutely. Um, I, I had an opportunity to talk to um, Satya Nadella, the CEO of, of Microsoft at a conference. We just happened to basically almost fall into each other um, at this conference. And, you know, we were standing there a couple minutes and he was like, oh, it was a Microsoft conference. Uh, it was their night conference. Um, and I said, man, I'm a big fan. And, and we had this great conversation and he said, well, what do you think, you know, of all this stuff? And I said, you're so busy focused on the, the nonsensical, right? You guys are out here trying to pioneer, you know, quantum computing and all this shit. Why can't you just fix the basics, right? And, and I was a believer so much, right? I, I, I mean, I wanted to believe, right? I was a I was a Windows user. Uh, I still am to some extent. I use both, uh, but I bought the Microsoft Watch. Right? Microsoft released a uh, essentially a, a fitness band, but it was it was it had the most sensors. It had 23 sensors on it. It was called the Microsoft Band. I bought a Windows phone when Windows phones were a thing, and none of it talked to each other. It, it didn't. Nothing yeah. like I had all the Microsoft stuff. And he, so he said, well, what do you mean? And I used that example and he was like, man, that's, yeah, you know, that, that's the hardest thing. And I was like, I, I use a, a phrase with my customers uh, all the time. It's called stabilize then optimize, right? When, when your base platform is on fire, you have to fix that. All the cool innovative shit you want to go do, you, you need to retrench, right? You've got to fix the basics. Because if you do some really cool thing out here, your users are going to go, okay, yeah, that was cool. But hey, back here, this is a problem. And, and Microsoft to this day still hasn't figured it out, right? They have, if you compare the Microsoft experience to an Apple experience on a desktop, on whatever, they haven't figured it out to this day. And it's not like they don't know it's a problem. I told Satya it was a problem. He apparently didn't listen to me. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a systemic change, right? It's a systemic change where people have to change, organizations have to change, incentives have to change, uh, and uh, you know, and one of the exercises that we do as we we draw an ecosystem map, and uh, mm -hmm. anytime we go and because we're working in a complex system, and we say, how does your user describe you, not how you describe your organization? Because you would describe your organization like I have a cloud team, I have a reporting team, I have this team, that team, and the user describes you as you are my healthcare team or you are my you know education team, and then mm -hmm. you kind of look at that perspective and like each may have different features, each may have different product lines, like Workday or any of the Workday is a fully cloud-based company. They have a student product, they have an they have an employee product. Now, why can't the student product at least integrate well with the employee product because every student and one day becomes an employee uh, or at least has a chance of becoming an employee but why can't that data kind of merge and then kind of bring better models and better data sets if the student and obviously it's a, a double opt-in but these are nuances that haven't been thought through where a system is way more powerful when they're working together and that systemic aspect of both experience and technology is actually not leveraged well uh, it takes a lot of uh, courage again for uh, someone like a Tesla to say, I'm going to first build the destination charging system before I start building my best-selling car, right? 
And obviously today, everything comes together. It's an experience and no doubt it's one of the most valuable company. People look at it as an automotive company. It's an experience company. They have all data around you. They will keep building more and more experiences around you. And, uh, and you will keep buying it because it just solves the problem that you want. And it's like having somebody watching you every minute, every day, and then telling you what you can do or can't do. And I think that level of focus is very mm-hmm. hard to bring in a big ship. But again, that's the challenge that you will have. You can't, you, I mean, they're leading it with sales. Uh, and if they want to lead with experience, it has to shift significantly. I love it. Um, one other thing I want to point out on the, the website that I, I want to talk about, Ray, is um, it's kind of buried in there, so you have to find it. It's under uh, UX Design Services. You have a, an article out there that folks can download called Transforming Businesses Through User Experience. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how keeping like that at the core can really help a company grow from a profitability perspective. Because I, I think that's a unique perspective. I think everybody knows they got to try to do better at user experience to retain customers and such. But, but positioning it as a method to grow a company is, is really interesting to me. So let's, let's see live examples, right? Uh, there's a whole construct of design premium or experience premium. People are willing to pay more for something that solves their specific need. Uh, I tell a lot of my clients when I work with them initially that if you're building for everyone, you're building for no one. Pick mm-hmm. a specific group, niche, solve it for them, go at it, and then kind of wow them, and then expand from there. Uh, that's one aspect. And when you do that, when you actually wow users, they will they will have higher retention, higher adoption. Uh, you know, again, think about it as a journey. We are right now working with a company that initially did not think about their trial experience because trial was hard. It was a good product. It was sold well. But the trial itself, how do I get to kind of try it and it works for me and it work for my context? So we actually pulled together and built a whole sandbox experience and they, the trials just went up, up significantly because people are able to try fast and pump try. It went to uh, sale, not POC, because POC would take a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, so nuances where you start optimizing with, so adoption goes up, retention goes up, because now you're solving, and when you understand users and you keep giving them, so on and so forth. You can add more cross-sells and upsells. Even your, in fact, the M&A strategy should also be defined on your user's journey. You should look at where is the user, like where, what problems can I kind of solve for them? Do I build or buy? How do I kind of get there? And how do I integrate it? Everything kind of becomes much easier. It's a much more of a macro aspect now growth why does growth come growth comes because you are selling a product at a much higher rate than a demand uh, and you have demand whenever you actually have digital actually has opened up in the global setting you understand the users you kind of can open it up for them and when you solve the problems and the needs and, and specifically for them you actually start seeing a lot more adoption you see a lot more retention you start seeing people sharing it and engaging with it and that is how growth happens uh i Give you an example of a very specific company we work with. In fact, this is a, a, a company called Techion, which uh, was started by uh, the first CIO of Tesla. And his point was, uh, so he helped build a whole uh, network infrastructure or the whole enterprise infrastructure of Tesla. And he said, hey, Tesla works really well. It's experience first. How do I bring this to the rest of the automotive industry? We worked with them for two and a half years, building that backbone. As I said, we spent about 200 visits working with different dealerships understanding how dealerships work how does 
apart now if you look at it most dealerships like any other complex system or it had about a dozen different systems coming together a payment system a sales inventory system a parts inventory system now a tesla doesn't think about all that they say like hey you're driving in cross country and your part kind of fails we know which dealership has it we'll call the dealership we'll send you a message on your phone saying go to that dealership and uh, two hours later yeah, you actually have uh, your car fixed and you're back on your road it's not like hey where is the part is the part going to get shipped it's all just in time so now this is exactly the intent here the whole multiple systems had to come together but it was all the first design the experience then we designed specifically how that meant and then we figured out the technology and that's why that company today 5 years later or now 6 years later is valued at 3 and a half billion dollars and also grew 300% year over year last year right and the irony of the thing is that the biggest competition of theirs just got taken private and the ceo just left uh, the company and this is the big 800 point gorilla when this company came in again there's a lot to do but this is the power of when you really know your user you bring the system together on experience first and and again we see this so many times and i'm just like it it makes my day and it says okay this is exactly why we exist um what what are the other things right i mean i i i love my guests that um are are really trying to not only run a company to yes you know make profitability but are truly passionate about what it is they're doing and are really trying to change the world to a certain extent um so sure people could work with with ux reactor um but there's all kinds of other cool things like i was i was just looking like you do workshops you do training to to help companies build their own right to change culture to to hire their own folks maybe just talk to me a little bit about about some of that aspect so as a firm what business are we in we are in the business of driving business value by experience design right and we said we will teach people how to do it uh we will first so first we figured out how it actually can work how do we kind of replicate the 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 variables to make sure that it works that was what i say the experimental phase of ux reactor i would say the first 3 to 4 years uh once we figured it out then we kind of uh, codified that into processes and methods uh and they said okay we're going to write it as a book let's open source it anyone wants to read the book do it themselves good for them we don't care i mean the open sourcing it is the best way to kind of spread the word second is like hey if someone wants to learn a bit more we can workshop it we can teach them we can uh, give them a uh, you know a little bit more nudge to kind of understand how to kind of deploy it if they want us to do it we'll do it uh so there's a lot of those aspects i mean our goal is not to you know be more uh, in from initial days our goal was not to kind of keep it to ourselves it's our secret sauce by like let the world do it because i think as the world is getting digitized as our technology is getting hyper commoditized we need to build better systems uh i was just traveling international the other day the whole citizen experiences haven't been thought through and i'm like governments are spending so much money on citizens and citizen experiences but it's just painfully hard to navigate through this because of the bureaucracy of how it's working healthcare education agriculture uh legal there's just so many systems that need the power of better experiences mm-hmm. uh, and that's i just feel that you know hey the, how do we get it there and the unfortunate part is most of the world still focuses on design as what i call the small d design focus on like it's a beautiful the visceral aspects of design 
when design is actually much more bigger. How you design your organization should be user-centric. How you design your incentives should be user-centric. So I think that's kind of where we ended up going. Obviously, we cannot work with all the companies of the world. So we kind of we, we have kind of spread the word, say like, hey, you can work at different levels. We'll coach you, we'll teach you, we will work with you. Uh, obviously, we uh, the, the limited capacity we have, uh, we want to spend it with uh, you know the, the clients that we can. Uh, but those who we can't, we actually want to make sure that they actually have other ways of kind of still getting there. I love it. Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned traveling internationally, so we're we're going in October. My wife and I we're going on a trip to Italy, which sounds magical. But like trying to, everyone's like, just take the train. Be be in America, not having really ever traveled to Europe, and try to figure out the train system. I challenge you. Go to any, just type Italy train in and try to navigate that. And somebody tell me, staying an hour north of Rome, how the hell I'm supposed to get around Italy? on some train using any of these government sites that talk about trains, because there's private trains, there's government trains, there's bullet trains, there's these kinds of trains. They're all different. There's not one website that does anything. I have no idea how much any of this stuff's gonna cost. I don't know when the trains are gonna leave. It's an absolutely horrible end user experience to say, Europe is magical with trains. Come to Europe and ride the train. It sounds so dreamy until you actually try to plan for it and understand it. I'm sure I'll figure it out when I'm there, but that user experience, right, doesn't make me want to go to Italy and ride the trains, right? And, and when you're designing for that, I'm sure for the people that live in Italy, which I'm sure the site was designed for, I'm sure they can figure this all out because they know the cities, the stops, the names, the time. It, it's all magical for them. But for somebody outside, right, and I'm one of their customers, I'm going to give them some money and, and I'm going to travel on these trains. The site's not designed for me, right? They forgot that, oh, wow, people coming to Europe are going to ride these and we maybe need a different site or a different button they can click and it gives me a different experience that makes me understand this. It's so simple, but it seems to elude 90% of the world on on user design. It's it's crazy um so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the, the the industry the career uh you know that you and your company are, are pursuing um uh, you know we got to change the world <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, so michael just the example that you just gave right now right so with two hours of interviews with you in a room we can map out your journey. We can map out, understand the pain points that you have, what your aspiration is, what the best case scenario is. And then in a week, we can prototype a wow. product for you really fast. Now, when I say prototype, it's creating a sketch of what does that world look like? How do you see the world? How does Rome kind of feel to you? In Rome, you may have, you know, like anyone coming to America, they probably know Las Vegas. They know they are, you know, Statue of Liberty. They, they'd see the world that way. And once I understand how you see the world, I talk to you in your way. And that is, 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 is the, how I prototype it. Now, the irony is you don't even have to do a citizen XP. If somebody, some entrepreneur out there is listening to this, they would go and solve that right now, build it out for you. And suddenly they have like, you know, at least even if they have 10, 20,000 users using it, booking through their sites, now suddenly they have a whole business model right there. And that is mm -hmm. what, when you are user-centered, that is what growth models are like. And when you go and hone in and that one specific insight that you shared, obviously I need to talk to you. I need to talk to other people like you. I need to build the patterns, but all yeah. that can be with like really low cost. So cost of innovation and cost of experimentation is close to zero. Everyone says cost of capital is zero, 
But when you actually understand the user, capital will automatically attach to it. And then suddenly you have a very, very successful enterprise. I love it. All solving problems, right? Absolutely. At the end of the day, user experience is solving a problem. It's, it's giving someone a better experience. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I would gladly pay somebody a premium to figure out how my wife and I are going to get around uh, to all these tours that we booked. Booking the tours was easy. And they were like, you have to be where? At, at what time? Oh, we're an hour out of room. Oh, we got to leave at this time. How long does it take on the train? How, how do I get to the train from the hotel? How do I, right? Somebody going, oh, I got you, right? And travel agents are gone. You can't find a travel agent save your life these days we're all self-reliant and i think you know there's niches out there like that if you just go what problem is michael having oh i'm going to build a business around it to your point oh michael probably pay me twenty dollars a day to figure out his travel or whatever oh and there's twenty thousand people just like michael okay twenty dollars a day on a 10-day trip times twenty thousand becomes pretty significant money and that's just around Rome, right? There's people traveling all over the world, people in Italy coming to the US probably going, how the hell do I get around the United States, right? Somebody solved that problem for him. Just being aware of what problems these consumers are having and then positioning a great user experience around it, it is a business to your point. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there's it's so amazing. many examples of this, Michael. Right? Amazing. I, I want to. Um, I'm, I'm still in love with your website, which is good because a lot of times I like the front page and then I don't like anything else about the website. But um, I'm going to tease folks to go to the blog tab on the website, and you can see. I love this article's title: "The Real Secret of Tesla's Success: Creating an All New Experience for Car Buyers." And and you you alluded to that a little bit, but it goes into just really great detail about experience first design and and Tesla being an experienced company. It, it's just, um, there's so many examples. It's so cool. Um, to me, if you're interested and you're like, I had no idea, right? There's contact me information. All of uh, the information, the contact information and such will be down below. The website will be down in the comments uh, down below as well. Um, you're hiring. I noticed you're hiring in India and Colombia, right? So the company is growing. If you want to live in Colombia or India, uh, there's positions uh, out there. There's a U.S. position out there, too. Um, it, it's just such a cool field. Um, it, it's, it's the right time. Like, we just have to get this right. Companies like UX Reactor are out there making a difference for big companies like Tesla, but also small companies. Everybody can afford uh, to, to create good user experiences that drive profitability and drive growth. So, Satyam, thank you for taking the time and, and just sharing all your examples and all your experience and, and putting information out there through a book and, and through workshops and such to make it accessible to folks. Um, thank you for trying to, you know, change the world, make it a little bit better, better place. And then if you could just fix my train problem, uh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us this week on the Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at www.techprounicorn.com. 
where you can subscribe to the show and catch our latest blog articles. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Remember, unicorns represent the magic of digital transformation that occurs when business process is enabled with technology.